0: I've met you before. Um, let me just expend, extend Cooper's welcome to you if you're new or newish to Wild Street. So good that you're here. If you came at Easter and you're back again, we love having you here. We love having people check out who Jesus is and kind of join with us on a Sunday. Uh, let me just get set up. Okay, um, yeah, can I and I can I just add my thanks to Eleanor? How good was the uh, kids' talk this morning? I feel almost like I don't need to do a, do a sermon because it was just so good. Um, now I'm here today, and um, I'm a student minister at Wild Street. This is actually the first time I'm preaching at Wild Street, and I'm preaching on lament. It's pretty heavy, it's pretty hard, and I feel a bit weird preaching on that for the first time at Wild Street. Maybe you're here this morning and you're new to church. And you're like, oh, wow, preaching on lament, that seems pretty heavy. Our conviction as a church is that the word of God is for every moment of our lives, not just the good stuff, that actually God speaks to us and we need to hear from him no matter what we're feeling. Um, So I don't know what your week's been like. Maybe it's been great. Maybe it's been really hard. But let's pray to God now that we would hear from him what we need to hear. Father God, we're so thankful for you. You're the one we need to hear from. You're the one who has the words of life. Father, we pray this morning, whether we come from a really hard week or a really great week, that you would remind us who you are. Um, Show us your love this morning. Help us to hear from you as we open up your word together. Amen. This last year has been really hard in lots of ways for me uh, and for just us as a society, particularly coronavirus and the just deaths, like just so much death and devastation from that. Uh, another thing for me that's been hard recently is, I don't know if you've seen in the news, the um, sexual assault and kind of culture that seems to be hanging around in government and in private schools. There was the Kambala Petition for consent and the testimonies that went along with that of lots of um, girls, you know, teenage girls experiencing it. And it just, it broke my heart. I've got a little girl, and that's the world that she's going to grow up into. Um, and I just was full of grief, um, let alone the usual things of the everyday kind of life, like, you know, death, sickness, illness, cancer, loneliness, depression. There are lots of hard things that happen in our lives. And if the Christian faith is going to be worth considering, it needs to be able to answer the question of pain and suffering in our world. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to hear what he has to say about that question and that there's a good answer. Last Sunday, we looked at the death and resurrection of Jesus at Easter, and I'm convinced that's true. I want to extend Cooper's welcome. Come along to Intro Jesus if you haven't. Looked at the evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus. Looked at who he is, what he says, what he claims. Um, that would be well worth your time if you haven't done that. Come along. We'd love to sh- take you through that. there will be a short talk, chance to ask any questions you have. Uh, that'd be great. But Christianity, I want to say to us this morning, it's not just true, but it has an answer for the problem of suffering. And it's a problem that isn't just Put to Christians, it's actually a problem that every worldview, no matter what you subscribe to, has to deal with. Um, It's put to Christians like this, though. You Christians, you say God is all-powerful and all-loving, and yet there's suffering in the world. See, either God is loving, but he doesn't have any power to do anything about your suffering, or he's all-powerful, but he doesn't care about your suffering. That's the problem of suffering put to Christians. Um, but it's like I said, not just a problem for Christians. No matter who you are, you've got to deal with this problem. See, take Buddhism, for example. Buddhism deals with the problem of suffering by telling us that the answer to suffering is to detach from the world. So you suffer because you care about things, you're attached to them. And so the path to happiness and peace and joy, which is called enlightenment the teachings of the Buddha, is a path of detachment, to, to break yourself off from connection to the things that you care about. Now, that deals with the problem of suffering in a way, doesn't it? Or Hinduism, which says that the problem of suffering and pain in the world, in your life, is just a result of you know, the way you used to live in a previous life. We get this idea of karma, that the things that you did in your last life are the result of the pain and suffering now. And the best you can hope for is to live well now so that in the next life you won't suffer. Now, there's an answer to the problem of suffering, but karma does not love. There's no comfort there. It's just this faceless system of law that says you get what you deserve. Or atheism, for example. And now atheists, they deal with the problem of suffering by getting rid of anyone to blame for the suffering, right? The atheist says there's nothing beyond this physical world, things I can touch, taste, smell, feel, test in a science experiment. There is no creator, no God, and we are all just the result of evolutionary chance. Now this gets rid of the problem of suffering because there's no problem, there's no one to blame anymore, is there? Your suffering is just your neurons Uh, firing in your brain and the chemical reactions that kind of make up who you are, just just the physical. There's nothing deeper. There's no spiritual or metaphysical world. It's all just random chance. Now, this deals with suffering, doesn't it? There's no problem. There's no one to blame. It's all random chance. But it takes away so much in order to deal with suffering. See, it strips us of human value it strips us of identity and purpose. It strips us of kindness and care. It removes the, any kind of grounds for moral living. It's, now it's up to me or it's up to us as a, as a group to decide what's good and bad. And we can change that whenever we like. We can decide together what's good and bad and just keep going on. When pushed to the extreme, this kind of naturalist, atheist position, it leads us away from care and kindness, particularly for the weak, and the vulnerable in our societies. See, it deals with the problem of suffering, but at such great cost. Every worldview has to try and deal with suffering. And I want to show us this morning that the Christian answer is far better than any other worldview's answer to this problem of suffering. And it comes in two parts. The first is that God has shown us how to relate to him in the midst of suffering. And the second is God has shown us the kind of God he really is. That's where we're going to go. First, God has shown us how to relate to him. Uh, Psalm 55, which got read out to us earlier, is um, one of the the books of the the Psalms is the songbook of God's people. Um, And in them, we find kind of every emotion that humans feel, sadness, joy, regret, loneliness, peace, happiness, thankfulness, frustration, anger, sorrow, whatever it is, it's in there. See, Calvin calls the Psalms the mirror to the soul, because in them we find the full range of human experience. About a third of them are lament Psalms uh, that deal with particularly the grief, pain, loneliness, the, the, the sadness in the world. And I looked up lament on Google the other day just to see. I, I didn't have a dictionary. I could have looked it up on a dictionary, but Google works, right? Google works. Um, <laughs> and it said this, it's a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. But that's not what lament actually is. See, all of us feel grief and sorrow. What's the first thing that each of us does when we enter into this world as a baby? We cry. It's the first thing every person does. To cry is human. No one has to learn that. You're not taught to feel grief and sorrow in the world. But lament is a practice of faith because every lament is a prayer. One pastor, Mark Vrogop, he puts it like this. He says, Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. See, there he picks up the problem of suffering um, pain in the midst of God's love and goodness. See, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian because lament takes us on a pathway from grief to trust. And kind of as we look at the psalms, but we're going to look at Psalm 55 in a second. But throughout all of the lament psalms, there are four key movements to this lament. There's um, turning to God. The psalmists turn to God. They address him. They, they, they turn to him. Second, they complain to God. They share their suffering, their feelings, their emotions with God. Thirdly, they ask of God to act in the world. And fourthly, they trust him and they praise him. They, they turn over their experience to God and trust. So if you haven't got um, your Bible open, kind encourage of you get Psalm 55 open and in front of you. You're going to work through it now. This is a psalm written by David, God's chosen king. We don't know exactly when this psalm was written. Some people say it was in the period after he'd been anointed God's king, but while Saul was still on the throne. And so there's kind of all, um, lots of betrayal, and you can, you can pick that up in the Bible um, in 1 Samuel later on. Um, But we're going to look at this this psalm and see what a Christian answer to suffering is. So, have it open, Psalm 55. First, David turns to God. Pick it up with me in verse 1. He says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. He's saying, God, can you hear me? I need an answer from you right now. See, David refuses to believe the lie that because things aren't right in the world, that God's not there. He turns to God in suffering. It's a great demonstration of faith, isn't it? He turns to the one who has the ability to do something about his pain. If you're new to Christianity, if you came along uh, at Easter and you're back again, maybe you're thinking, I need to kind of get my life together before I can turn to God. I need to clean up my act a bit before I can turn to God. But David shows us here that there is no moment when it's not appropriate to turn to God. In everything in life, no matter what you're feeling, grief, loneliness, hurt, pain, turning to God is always the best move. See, we don't get an answer in the Psalms or in David's life or in the Bible in general exactly why we suffer. We do know that because of sin, because as a humanity, we've rejected God's rule, and we want to um, make ourselves the boss. We don't want to listen to God, that because of that, our world is broken, there's suffering, people are selfish. We do know that much. But David never gets an answer to why he suffers. We look at his life, and we see that God uses the suffering in his life to teach him to, to come back to God and turn away from idols, and to depend on God's strength not his own. See, C.S. Lewis, he says this about pain. He says, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, like in David's life, pain in our lives insists on being attended to. It's, it's God's megaphone in the world, in a sense. And so when suffering and hardship come your way, whether you trust Jesus or whether you don't even know who he is and you're looking for answers, God is there in the midst of it, reaching out to you, pleading to you to turn to him. That's the first movement of lament. It's turning to God. The second one is complaint, to bring our emotions, feelings, and suffering to God. See, pick it up with me in verse two, where we left off. He says, I am restless in my complaint, and I moan, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. David doesn't hold back here, does he? He's full of anguish fear and trembling, overwhelmed by horror, so much so that he wishes he could just fly away like a dove, just escape the pain that he's feeling. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel these deep, dark kind of pains and hurts in your life? Do you ever want to just, in the face of pain and suffering, just tap out, just try and escape it, just try and numb the pain, just put it to the side? See, in the face of hardness and suffering, rather than just tapping out, which doesn't actually solve anything or work through anything, take it to God. Take it to the one who hears you, who you can talk to. That's what David does here. See, David complains because his enemies are all around him in 9 to 11. There's violence and strife, oppression and fraud. But the heart of his complaint in this psalm is in verse 12. Pick it up with me. He says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me that I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me that I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. See, David's been betrayed by a close friend, Someone that he took counsel with, that he walked through life with. Have you ever experienced that in your life? I remember a time in my life a few years ago, I asked a friend not to share some sensitive information and found out later that he did and had told others and that they'd found out and it just, just it hit me in the gut. It was physical what I felt, not just emotional. It was just this punch in the gut. And for years afterwards, I found it hard to know how to relate to that friend. I just had this, just so, such a strong emotional response. It was almost physical. Have you experienced something like that? See, even in the midst of that kind of deep grief, David models this no holds barred sharing with God. He shares his frustrations and and shows us that there's nothing out of bounds, there's nothing too deep or heavy for God to hear. So if you've got, you know, in your relationships that you have in your friendships, you might hold back from sharing your suffering because you don't want to bring your friend, your partner, that person down, right? You might not, not always share all of it, but God's not like that. You can bring everything that you're feeling to God and let him know he wants you to do that. See, the heart of complaint is to say to God that things aren't as they should be. God, I know you're in control, but it sure doesn't feel like it right now. God, I know you love me, but I can't see why you've done what you did in the world. I don't know what you're doing, God. Complaint is crucial because in complaint, we come to understand who God is in the midst of suffering. We complain to a God who's compassionate and loves us, who listens to us, who cares, and who has the authority to act on our complaints. So last year, I ordered some new phones for Sophie and I, they were getting really old, and from Optus. right? I I, I wasn't going to name the company, but man, I'm going to name the company, it was Optus, it was Optus. And Sophie's phone arrived after two weeks, and mine didn't come. And I called up and I said, hey, where's my phone? They said, it's on the way, it's coming. You know, a few more days pass and I call up, where's my phone? Oh, there's some problems with delivery, it'll come. Uh, next week, I called up again. Still no phone. And they put me through to, like, customer service now, not sales. And customer service, I had a ticket, and they, you know, talked me through it and said, it's on the way. Another week, and my phone still hadn't come. And they put me through to, like, a, a rep. They get, like, a customer service rep who's going to handle your complaint. And this went on for weeks and actually months. And after three months, I had to drive down to Wollongong to get my phone because Optus just couldn't get it for me. God is not like the Optus customer service department, right? When, when you complain to him, he's the one that has power to act in the world. He's the one that cares and listens. He won't pass you off to someone else, so I'd be unable to deal with it. God has the authority to act on our complaints. And so lament, we don't just complain to God, we ask him to act in the world. Pick out with me in verse 16. David says, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. See, David here, he asks God to act. He utters his complaint and knows that God hears him. He asks God to save his soul, to keep him safe, to humble those that... Don't fear God. See, there are a few things that make a person want to pray, like suffering, like going through hard times. Maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you're here this morning checking out church and the things of Christianity because you're looking for answers. Can I encourage you? This is the right place to be. This is the, to, to come to God with your questions is the right thing to do. See, this is a dark moment. David's been betrayed a close friend. What does he do? Verse 17, evening and morning and noon, three times a day he turns to God. When you're in the valley in suffering, when life seems like it's just throwing punches at you, when you're in the midst of pain, where do you turn? We see here in Psalm 55 that we ought to turn to God, complain to God. He's the one who cares, hears, and has the power to act. It does raise a question, though, as we complain to God and ask him to act, should we be exactly like David? As you read through the Psalms, you get some um, pretty full-on complaints from David. See, verse 15, I I skipped over it before, we'll come back to it now. David prays this, Let death steal over them, let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. See, Sheol's the place of the dead, and so David's basically saying, they need to go there right now. Um, that they would instantly die. That's what his prayer is there. Um, Should I pray that God would smite Frank from work who keeps bad-mouthing me to my boss and making me look bad? No, no, you should not pray that. Why not though? David does it, why shouldn't we? Well, two reasons, because we're not David and we're not God. See, we, we should pray knowing that God has power to act in the world. We're, we're not like the atheists that don't think that there's miracles and the supernatural. We do believe in a God that works miracles. We should pray to him knowing that he cares about us. He knows our worries and our pains. But we're not David. See, this isn't just David's enemy. David is God's king. And this enemy isn't just betraying David. He's betraying God's king and God's kingdom. See, God's king is the one through whom God is going to bring flourishing and blessing to all peoples. So this enemy hasn't just betrayed David, but he's betrayed God. And so David's prayer here is that God would act justly in his world to bring about his kingdom, that he would save the king. And so we're not David, we don't pray like that. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that we should love our enemies, we should pray for our enemies, that if they take our coat shirt give them our cloak too we do the opposite of that we we seek to love our enemies but also we should pray with a little bit of caution because we aren't god so you don't know for sure what god's doing in the world we haven't got a promise from god that there won't be suffering or pain in our lives he doesn't promise that in fact we get the opposite that there will be suffering for the sake of following jesus See, it's not wrong to ask God to take away our suffering. That's not wrong to ask him to fix brokenness in the world. We ought to do that. But he doesn't promise that he will. We don't depend on him to do it and say that if he doesn't, well, he's not there. He doesn't promise that he'll fix everything yet. But he does promise to sustain us, to give us strength, to give us Christian community, church, to get around us and encourage us and point us to Jesus. He promises that he's at work in your life for good if you trust Jesus, even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it. He promises us that. Can I encourage us as a community? We need to make space for us to be able to lament and suffer together. See, this book, I brought it up with me, um, Dark clouds, deep mercies. If you're going through a really hard time at the moment, or you know someone who is, this has been a, this has been a wonderful resource for me. You can pick it up, fifteen bucks. Come and come and grab the title off me afterwards if you want. Mark Vrogop. We need to make space as a community to help each other as we're grieving and suffering, and not just expect that everyone's going to rock up on Sunday feeling great. That's not the way the world works. But as we Turn to God, complain to him, ask him to act. All those things lead us to trust. See, this lament is designed to lead us to trust in God. Nearly every lament psalm ends on a note of hope. And David does that, just that here, doesn't he? See verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. David casts his burdens onto God, knowing that God will sustain him. That's the, the, the apex of the psalm, and it's the heart of Christian suffering. See, so much of our worry comes from thinking that we know better than God, that we wouldn't have done it the way God's done it. And so much of our fear comes from this niggling doubt that. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe he's not here for my good. But to trust God is to affirm what the Bible says time and time again. God is both loving and in control of all things. Even when we don't see how God's at work. See, God's at work in ways that we can't even imagine at times. We know he's just and he'll hold evil to account in his world. Sin won't go unpunished. But his plans... Are bigger than just us and our immediate physical happiness sometimes. The psalms, as we move through this process of lament, they ultimately point us to Jesus. They're Jesus songs. Because in Jesus we see who God really is. That's the kind of the second piece. The first piece is how to turn to God in suffering. And the second piece of the Christian answer is that Jesus shows us who God really is. The psalms are Jesus songs. See, Jesus didn't he know exactly what it was like to be betrayed by his inner circle? Judas, for 30 pieces of silver, turned him over. Peter, on the night of his arrest, at the lowest point in Jesus' life, what does he do? Three times, I don't even know him. Jesus knew what it felt like to be betrayed. See, look at verse 22 again with me. Cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. The English doesn't pick this up super well, but this is all singular. It's talking about one person. You could say, He will never permit a righteous one to be moved. Or you could say, He will never permit the righteous one to be moved. See, this promise is ultimately about God's righteous King, Jesus. David died and was buried and stayed in his tomb, and the world just kept spinning and moving on. David was moved death. But at the cross, Jesus, God's righteous king, wasn't moved. He was unshakable. Death couldn't hold him, and he rose victorious. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus shows us who God is. He shows us the very heart and nature and love of God for us. See, a God who loves from a distance is no comfort when we're going through suffering, when we experience pain we don't need a God who speaks of love and doesn't act, who sees our grief but doesn't know anything of it. The good news of the Bible is that God has come to us in love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. See, Jesus came and lived in our broken world as a man. He experienced the full range of human suffering, brokenness, loneliness, and shame. And he died on the cross the most horrible death. And he didn't just suffer with us so that he knows our pain. He did it for us. He suffered for us. His death was an invitation from God to be reconciled with the very one whom we'd rejected and the cause of all the mess of the brokenness in the world in the first place. Jesus came on a rescue mission to ransom us. And if your trust is in Jesus this morning, although you experience death and suffering and pain now, you have guaranteed eternal life with him. Because he died and rose again, Christians know that we too will die and rise again. That's the hope that we celebrated last week on Easter Sunday, isn't it? We grieve now, but we grieve with hope. There's a day coming when Jesus will make all things new. See, pain and suffering are isolating because only you can feel it, right? Only you can kind of feel the pain and the grief that you feel. But this psalm reminds us that we're not alone. In Jesus, God took on flesh and suffered alongside us, with us and for us in our place. It begs the question then, if Jesus has done that and he's going to make all things new, why keep this broken world full of suffering going? Why not just end it now? It's not because God's unmoved by your pain. Remember what He did for us in Jesus. He went to the most extreme end that He could. He's moved. He loves us. So why keep it going? God keeps it going out of love for those that don't yet know Jesus, who haven't found the wonderful, life giving hope in Him. See, God holds the door open. Just a moment longer, and says, There are more people to come through to know and experience the love of Jesus and the hope of eternity. And he says to us who trust him and have our faith in him now, he says, In the midst of pain and suffering and brokenness, trust me, hold on to me, look at the cross and know how much I love you. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus, friends, this morning, it's time. God won't wait forever. Maybe you're here because you've been suffering, looking for answers. Maybe you're just here checking out church. God isn't going to wait forever. There is a time when that door will close and God is reaching out to you through his son, Jesus. See, I decided to preach this sermon on lament maybe three months ago. I was talking to Rod and I said, hey, I'd love to do some psalms. Can I do one on lament, one on praise? So I'm going to do praise next week. But in God's sovereignty, these last few weeks for me, have been full of grief and lament. See, last Saturday we held the memorial for some of our closest friends, little baby boy. Little Levi had a bunch of heart complications and after he was born, he just declined to a point where they couldn't operate on him and his family showered him with love for four days and then he went to be with Jesus. Seeing them talk, about their love for him at the memorial, it was heartbreaking. And, they, and as they walked out holding this tiny little white coffin, it was just devastating. Where's God in the midst of that kind of suffering? But I met up with my friend before the memorial, and I'll never forget what he said to me. The last thing that he said to his little boy before he passed away was this, see you again soon. See, in light of eternity with God, pain and suffering in this world doesn't seem like such a long time. In light of the future hope of all things made new, we can hold on in this world in the midst of pain and suffering. 1 Peter 5 captures up exactly this thought. Let me come up on the screen. He says in verse 6, "'Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God,' So that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See how Peter uses the language of Psalm 55 here? Cast your burden on the Lord and he'll sustain you. Cast your anxieties on the one who cares for you. And then down into verse 10, he says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now that's the Christian answer to the problem of pain and suffering in our world. There's a God who's both powerful and who loves us. A God who has acted in history through his son Jesus to show that love. A God who's not distant but near. A God who has secured for those whose faith is in Jesus, eternity with him. Eternity where he'll do away with all pain and brokenness and suffering and sin, where he'll make all things new. There'll be no more tears there, no more crying. A God who says, trust me, hold on to me while you wait, turn to me, lament to me while you wait for that future hope. See, Jesus is God's righteous, unshakable king who shows us the very heart of God, and we can trust him. We can look back at the cross in the midst of suffering and know God's love for us. We can look forward to heaven and know that God has done something about pain in the world and that we don't have that much longer to wait. We can use the words of these psalms to move from grief to glory, from pain to praise. Can I encourage you, if you're going through something high at the moment, Pick up the Psalms, have a read of them. Pray to God using this um, format of lament, of turn, complain, ask, and trust. Take your grief and use it to grow your trust in God. I'm going to pray that God would help us to do that as a community. Father God, thank you so much that you are both loving and in control that in our darkest moments we can turn to you and know that you hear us, you care about us, and you have acted in the world. God, when we suffer and grieve, remind us to look back at the cross and see how much you love us. Remind us to look forward to the hope that we have of eternity with Jesus. God, help us as a community to be a community that laments hard things together, to grieve together, to share each other's burdens and to point each other to the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen.